Welcome to another episode of the SNC podcast, a podcast featuring conversations with Nigerian creatives and business executives about the creative business and legal aspects of music, art, and entertainment. I am your host, Bolashade Anosie. My guest for this episode is Oyin Konsola Fawemi, a Nigerian music executive and lawyer. Oyin Konsola, who is popularly known as Foza Doza, obtained her law degree and diploma in security studies from Babcock University. She was called to the Nigerian bar in 2014. She is one of the partners at the Nigerian boutique law firm Technological Partners and is a business manager at Incubation Factory Entertainment Limited, a talent and label services agency based in Lagos, Nigeria. This is the condensed version of my conversation with her which covered contracts, copyright, leverage, and the importance of strategy in the music business. Hi, Foza. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Shani. I know. It's been a long minute. I know. I know right? I so the reason I'm laughing is that you were texting and then I was like, Hi, Foza, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just jump right in. As a lawyer... Do you get frustrated when you give someone, okay, the person says, Fos, I want to ask you for your legal advice. I'm not going to pay you, but just let me know what you think. And you give the person sound legal advice that based on the facts, this is what I think you should do. And then the person doesn't do that. And then things now get worse. And then I want you to rectify that situation. D- does that make you frustrated? Does that annoy you? Uh, early in my career, yes. Now, I you can't just, be bothered. Yeah. Because I feel like I've given seven years of my life to this industry, trying to get people to understand how to run properly. And I was on a Ubi Franklin show like some days ago, and I just realized that what I've been talking about for seven years, they're just getting it. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because Progress. now, I mean, I mean, it's not a good mm-hmm. thing. But before, I used to be so frustrated. and But now I'm just like, all right, sometimes you have to fall into that ditch to to, you know, need my advice. Like, I, I see labels that want to sign a particular artist. From the negotiation, I can tell if this relationship is going to be a bad relationship because of the characters. Mm-hmm. And that's part of your job as a lawyer, you know. And I tell this, this label, this artist you want to sign, I'm sorry, you know, because I also have an A and R part in me. I'm sorry, this artist is going to need at least three years of artist development mm-hmm. to get to any form of... And this is because the current competition in the industry... He can't compete, but they don't want to listen. Oh, somebody brought him in. This other artist has baggages from his former contract, right? And he has a huge sense of entitlement. You can't sign this artist. If you're signing this artist, be ready to do another three years of artist development. Mm-hmm. Which is crucial. You know, and, and we go into six months into the agreement, you're already complaining, you're upset, you're this, you're that. I'm like, but I told you. You know, before, it, before it used to piss me off because I'm not collecting my money. Now, I've collected my money. Mm, yeah. You listen, mm, you don't listen. Yeah. So what I now do is I just put a clause that if you don't listen to my advice, which my advice is always in an email, so that you don't go out and, and be like, oh, that lawyer said, that lawyer did not advise mm-hmm. you. So I always have my receipts. So when you come back, I just show you, I warned you. Yeah. I warned you. You know, so before it used to piss me up, but now it doesn't. Now, um, you talked about the fact that you put that in a clause in your contracts. In situations whereby an artist comes to you and says that I want to sign this deal, 
and I know you're not a psychologist, but what would you tell an artist who seems very desperate to sign a contract or sign a label because sign to a label because you need the resources? What would you tell them in terms of just valuing the fact that they bring a lot to the table and you should not be desperate? Because a lot of times you hear half a loaf of bread is better than none, Abby. But sometimes it seems like having none is even better than the half you're going to get. So what, what would you tell the artist? So from my experience, right, those that are desperate, those that are always desperate, have the following characteristics. One, they're extremely lazy. Two, they've not invested in themselves. Three, they're extremely entitled. So you see, those three fundamentals also has an underlining, the biggest issue, which is greed. So, because if you've invested in yourself and you know the effort you've put into it and you're not lazy, because lazy would translate to you know that this is your passion. You know that it's currently not making you money. It's common sense that you get something that is making you money to invest in this. So, because you know that it's hard work to do a nine-to-five or to be employed and also do music, the laziness comes out, you're not trying to get a job. But when you get a job, you have resources. So you can actually pay, pe- pay producers to make the music. You can pay the distributors to distribute the music. You can pay for proper PR. Right, by the time you do all that, you know the value that you bring. So when I am talking to you, and you even, I've, I've had clients that they can't afford me, but they will tell me, I'll pay you in seven months. So every month, they want to be paying 10-10K or 5-5K. I would work with that client. Mm-hmm. Because the person understands that's, the value. Yeah. So that's when you pay me that money, you, you always would listen to my advice. So in, in, in those desperate situations, frankly, I don't work with those kind of people. I just tell you, this is a bad deal. If you want to, like, this is what's going to happen after. If you take it, kudos. If you don't take it, like, I've also had situations where, because I saw the talent in, in the artist and I still saw the desperation, I tried to help out to renegotiate the deal to the best possible uh, possible way. Some worked out, some didn't. And those that didn't, you know, they still came back and the one that stopped their future. It used to make me feel so guilty. So I'll start looking for, okay, how can I hook you up? How can I? But then I realized that I'm not the owner of this dream. I used to disturb me. Like, I'm not the owner of this dream. Mm-hmm. I just did my own job. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. So, so, but if, if an artist, I always believe that if an artist has done those three things, invested in themselves, you know, they, they know the value. Yeah. Because you know how much you've spent. So That's true. Yeah. You know, and even you're talking about finding a job. So you're looking for, you're, you're trying to grow your career and looking for a job. For example, my podcast, it's not yet making money. I'm looking for a job. So anybody out there who's looking for corporate <laughs> communications, you know, She's executive very, very good and, or that. brand development, please reach out to me because the sister is about to go begging on the street at this particular <laughs> point. <laughs> point in time. Now, I think that it is important that we discuss the concept of leverage because I feel like that is always ignored. People just say, ah, you signed a bad deal, something, something, something. They took me for granted, blah, 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 blah. Can you talk about the importance? Because even when you go to the market, you see leverage comes into play anywhere except for like stores that have set prices, right? So talk about what it means to have leverage or not have leverage and how that plays out when you're going to sign a deal with the label or whether it's a JV, whatever it is. So as an artist, your biggest leverage is how much catalog you have and how much community you've built. 
So if you're going to a label and you have 200 followers, no song ever released, just demos or voice notes, of course, if I'm negotiating for the label, I'll take everything from you because I'm about to do the highest level of work. I know what people don't understand is that, I mean, after the first month, second month, they say, oh, you've not released any single for me, but you've still not even found your sound. Artist development again. Yeah, artist like you've not, and that that is, I had I have an artist that is, it took us five years, Basky. It took us five years for me to get him, both mentally, character wise, mm-hmm. and music wise, to where I needed him to be. And he used to look at me as the Abinga of evil, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Down to there's a meeting by two. Why are you coming at two ten? Yeah. You are, you are sitting in a meeting with people and you didn't greet. You are in a meeting and you're wearing shades. Or I'm asking you every month, I need five masters from you or five complete songs from you and you're sending me one or two with excuses. Why? Just, or yeah. I tell you, you know, we have, to go some, we have to go for an event. You have to be going for a basement gig every month. I don't care whether you, you are learning. You have, every month you have to be submitting to me the new friends you've made. Or the new industry friends you've made, you know your social media has to be growing by 500 followers every every month. You have to respond to every DM. Like those things are actual training. Now it took five. Like you always used to be so upset. Like you were so upset at one point because mm-hmm. before we recorded this new EP, I I, sub, I subjected him to about three months of vocal training. I said, I don't want to hear any song. Just go and do your vocal yeah. training. And, you know, the training he was doing, he, he, he was doing at Freedom Park, and they would make him stand on the stage and recite, you know, poems. And he just used to look like, ah, like, what's this? But because I knew that when you, when you do that, mm. you do your gym and you do your vocal, mm. the strength of your voice yep. goes ridiculously well. And when, when, when he started sending me songs, you know, I was like, okay. Working. It's working. And I found... No, I'm saying it took us five years because mm-hmm. all the songs that have been releasing, I would say, no, we can't release. No, we're not releasing. And I used to be very upset. All my business partners were like, oh, this thing is taking too long and everything. And when the final product came out, down to the way it was looking, dressed, the artwork and everything, everybody was like, wow, this is magic. Oh, my God. And I'm like, it took us five years yeah. to get here. So now the thing I would be fighting with him, like, wow, go to your Twitter Twitter retweet and everything. He says no, it's personality. I don't care if it's your personality. We need to make money. Go and do this. And now he's doing it with ease. And I'm telling them, I'm like, this is because we've done this for almost three years. Mm-hmm. So imagine it's like another label that was doing it and they didn't put him to us. Because I will sit you down and I will explain the expense and what it's going to, you know, yeah. result to. Now, and a typical artist that is entitled cannot understand it. I've dealt with like different artists that use different methods for them, and they can't. But f- same under, underlining principle, they can't understand it. Same thing for a label that can't understand. It. Why will I spend? Because those things are expensive. Artist development is extremely expensive. Jeez. So I, I'm not looking for to make money in t- in two months time. Mm-hmm. I know that this thing is going to take Long me another f- three years or four years. So the label doesn't understand. The artist doesn't understand. But then why are you in the business? Because but well, go ahead, yeah. So, you see, I keep telling people, IP is not market. It's not fast consumer moving goods. Mm-hmm. It's like land. You buy a land in... So, let me give you an example. So, Papa Lanto is somewhere, I think, around our open state side. Three years ago, dead. 
Now, Buari came in, commissioned the train line. The train line started work. Like, they started putting now, 2020, the train line is done. The train line is going from, I think, Festac, Iyanoba, something, then Papalantu. Then. Now, Papalantu, because it's a stop, if I go, if I bought land there, immediately I heard Buari signed the train this thing, let's say at 100,000. That was like 2014. By 2020, because now the trains Valley. have started working, that land will increase by another four multiple or five multiple. But it took like five years. Now, in another five years, because now know. people have built warehouse, people start living there, it's going to increase by another 10 multiple. That's how music is. So you're not investing for now. You're, and that's what people get wrong. They mm-hmm. think it's like we're selling milk, we're selling bon vita. It's not. So for an, as an artist, when you have... I can't go and talk to an artist that already has two... Before, we used to call it mixtape. I can't go and talk to an artist that already has two EPs, you know, 10,000 um, 10, followers, and an engagement of more than 50% uh, you know, engagement rate, and be talking to him the way I would talk to someone that has just 100 followers. Mm-hmm. You can't. So that's what you used to negotiate. And I, and I do it a lot. You know, the labor will come and I'll tell, I'll say, this person has spent, because this EP is what this, this EP is what this, this is what this, this is what this. Meaning that if you have the right team, you've passed two years of artist development. You just have to put one more, which reduces your cost. So it's like the leverage, you can see the bargaining chip. Yeah. So that's how it works. Yeah. And I hope that people got that because a lot of times I think that I was just saying like to me it just seems like leverage. People don't really understand that it's not about necessarily saying oh the label is evil or the artist is dumb. Do you really just understand what leverage is? And I think when we do, it makes not saying that it makes everything right, but it makes more sense. You're able to understand why things happen the way they do. So thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Now, a couple of months back it was Megan the Stallion with, you know, her former label, 1501 Certified Entertainment, and I think it was last week, it was Cynthia Morgan and Northside Inc. I'm sure you've seen the contract, which was actually released publicly. What do you think about the contract? So, first of all, um, there are a lot of, like, legally things wrong with the contract. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, those things that are wrong with the contract are legally even still in favor of Cynthia. And so, first of all, I don't understand how she got the interpretation that she doesn't own the name. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where she got that mm-hmm. from. So, generally, this is what I think. First of all, Jude, which is what I discussed on Ubi Show, like, a lot of us enter into this business based on family relationship. I still feel like we should be calling the music industry a family <laughs> as opposed to a business because that's how we all run it. Because there's no way that if Jude then... P-Square was already an they were African phenomenon. That means that you have to have gotten your business in order. You should have had a, a lawyer and retainer. Like, it doesn't, what does it really cost you to have yeah. a lawyer and retainer? So for you to allow the artist draft the contract and bring it to you and you just sign, I'm totally against that. Yeah. Also, for the manager and the artist to draft the contract themselves and bring it, I mean, the basic English was there, which was, we wanted to be 50-50, you know, we wanted it. But things like, IP ownership wasn't properly delineated. Mm-hmm. Publishing rights were not properly delineated. Accounting mm-hmm. wasn't properly delineated. Mm-hmm. Exit clause wasn't properly delineated. Mm-hmm. Even the execution of the contract was faulty. You know, the party's definition was faulty because it's from, I know, and you know, um, a lot of people 
forget very minute detail. Like in the background, we have so there's a contract between myself and yourself. It says Fosa is a legal expert, focused and specialized in the entertainment industry. Shade is a recording and an emerging recording and performing artist. Now the reason we put those things is to define the capacity yeah. of both. So if, I, if in the contract I've defined myself as an expert, mm-hmm. I'm going to be held to the standard of an expert. expert. Do you understand? So it's the same way the record contract should be. So if the label has said that we have the capacity to do distribution, marketing, and promotion, I'm going to hold you to that standard. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and it's very... And when people... When I change those things in contract, people are just like, oh, Fosa is stressing out. But I know the implication of it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean... Meg obviously got too excited because, you know, there's Jay in the picture, you know, there's Queen B in the picture. However, you know, I, I think she just took it over. But because I, I'm pretty, pretty, probably pretty sure that, you know, I don't know, two things. You can't, you, you can never disrespect the early investor. Whether we like it or not, these people took a chance on your career. Because truth be told... Nobody will know you if they didn't take that step. Even if it's one naira they put in it. Mm-hmm. So we always have to respect. And that's what people don't understand. The courts anywhere in the world respect the investor. Because the money has to keep going around. And the more the investors feel like the money is not being protected, they keep leaving that industry until that industry dies, which is what is happening right now to our country, our industry. Yeah. The only people coming in to buy or to put money in music are doing are beginning to are doing it as slave masters. So that free money, that free largesse is out the window now. So general my general thoughts is like it wasn't run like a business. It wanted to be a family venture. Do you think that Joy Tongo was wrong in drafting the contract because she's her manager? <sighs> to be honest, yeah, I just feel like her only issue was that she was not a lawyer. Mm. So she couldn't understand to the furthest extent what shall we mean in the contract or may will mean in the contract. But or must. Or must, right? So but essentially I feel like she she did what she had to do. Okay. She did what she had to do. Yeah. Uh, maybe at that time they couldn't afford a lawyer. Yeah. And know. just a couple of comments like, oh, I think that there's a conflict of interest, yada yada yada. And you know, no, everybody no. everybody always has their, their Be- own Because she, that contract reflected the you know, there's something in, in contract we call meeting of the minds. Mm-hmm. So between Joy and Cynthia, that contract perfectly reflects what, what they all agreed on. What their mind yeah. met on. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, I, I mean, people have been arguing, oh, there was no concrete meeting of the minds and everything. They all agreed to 50-50. That was the basic mm-hmm. of their contract. They just said, okay, because Cynthia can't afford it now, Jude, you run it. And it was all reflected in the agreement. Yeah. It was all reflected in the agreement. Now, if I move on, before I move on from Joy, one other question I have is she alleged that Cynthia owes her, I think, $30,000. What can artist managers do to protect themselves? So I'm, I'm going to use myself as a practical example, right? Because I've moved from being a lawyer, which is in Nigeria. I cannot be a lawyer and be other things. And I'm called to be other things. Yeah. So, <laughs> so now I'm functioning fully as a music executive, which mm-hmm. now makes me... So we have run a talent agency and we run a label services you know situation and for people who may not know what the name of the company is what is it called again so we have a it's called incubation factory entertainment okay limited law firm is technological partners good um you can reach out to them they have lawyers that will attend to you okay so 
what incubation does is when we find an artist that we feel like is extremely talented, which you know I have like I'm like I love this artist. First thing we do is sign you up as for management under the artist development arm. In that artist development arm, because we know that you don't have the money, you don't have the resources, the kind of things that we advance to you is we give you a free studio to work with with a producer. Now, at the beginning of the agreement, when we sit down and sign, I will tell you these are the services that we have or these are the resources that we have and these are the resources that will be available to you. Now, for every point in time that you want to access that resources, those resources rather, we attach a financial value to it. So for every two-hour session you have in the, in the, in the studio, it's going to cost you 40K. But you're not paying the 40K now. No. You know, it's going to be in, in, in future. Yeah. The same way that we have producers that we've put on a monthly stipend or salary, they will attend to you. But for every hour you work with the producer, this is how much it is. And we have also have that agreement with the producer and stuff. So now, because everybody's aware, it's not like I'm doing you a favor. Mm-hmm. You're not doing me a favor. I'm not doing you a favor. Yeah. We give you um, vocal training classes. Everything is costed. So at the end of each month, we render an account to you and say, okay, this is what you used up this month. Mm-hmm. This is what we achieved this month. You know, this month we had five songs recorded. Um, the A&R people came in and said, okay, no, we think you need to change your voice. You need to change your songwriting is what you need. So that agreement, we know that we're investing in terms of resources. And we know that in the first two years, we're not going to make any money because the artist is not ready for market. Mm-hmm. So it's all in the agreement. I mean, we've had artists that didn't like our structure and said, oh, no, it's too, you know, there's too many bureaucracy, there's too many people involved, we want to get out. And it was easy. I just pulled up my, my expense sheet and I said, okay, yeah, you could leave, but this is how much you owe me. And they say, oh, no, I can't afford it now. I will give you a payment plan. Okay, you can pay in three months, you can pay for it. It worked out. Like, we've had, like, three artists leave. And they've paid me my money back. There's no back and forth. There's no conversation. So it boils down to the structure you put in as an artist manager. Mm -hmm. And and I also feel like it's the value and the leverage. I don't think there's any artist that walk up to me and have certain conversations with me. And maybe because of I, I moved from being a lawyer to into this role. So I'm not, I, I didn't start out, or I'm, I'm not your boy boy. I'm not your friend. Mm-hmm. I'm here to do business. Even the artists that we're friends with, that we also like translate from into being family, it's clear cut. Yeah. It's very clear cut. You know, when you see me at home in my, in my boxers and whatever, I will chill. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's as, it's as print, I, People say I run a military ship, but it's as principle that you can't come into the studio and smoke. Go outside and I, I have no issues. And I tell them I have no issues with you smoking. What but do you not need to smoke? Studio. But not in the studio and not in a public place. Because if they arrest you, I'm not coming to save you. Because it's illegal. It's illegal. So I think when we define this job, because a lot of things are, you know, and I work with a lot of the older managers, and God bless them, you know, those guys worked their asses off sorry mm-hmm. you know they worked so hard and they became everything for the artist but i felt like they f- they, they forgot themselves too much and artists will expect me to be your accountant be your lawyer be your di- now i'm so i'm like even though you can find all the resources and because we have like a full one-stop shop even though you can find all the resources in one building you know, you know that you have to pay for everything yeah 
Yeah. You know, like, and I tell you, I'm like, I'm not a booking agent. If you want a booking agent, we have a booking agent. We get you. I'm not. I'm. I'm a business manager. I'm not a booking agent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the definition, like, and a manager. Some people are good, extremely good with A and R. Some people are not good with the business. Some people are extremely good in booking agencies. You know, some people are not good in in business management. So when you define clear, some people are extremely good with road management. Mm-hmm. Like. I, I cannot be caught. I mean, I'm extremely good with road management, but I've gotten to that stage where I can't stand people's nonsense in the industry anymore. Yeah. So when I'm when when you say nine o'clock and you're not there nine o'clock, I start getting irritated. So I've I can't handle road management anymore. It's the same way that I can't air now some certain genres of music, you know. And I tell my people, I'm like, when you know your strength, when you admit your strength and capability, mm-hmm. admit it so that you know you know that. Okay, and and that's where it comes from. A manager, and you know, people used to, when we first started the management thing, people used to come and say, oh, the standard is 10%. I'm like, everything I'm offering, you think it's 10%? Do you think it's 10%? <laughs> so because there was no numerical value attached yeah. to those services, people rubbished it. But now that everything, we're beginning to see some sense and form of structure People are now beginning to respect it. And the moment you start putting number value to everything, you are sending emails. Like, there's every email to every communication. Mm-hmm. They know you're not joking. Yeah. And they respect it. So let me give you a perfect example. 2016, um, I realized that producers were not getting fair, fair share of the pie. And everybody, producers were like, broke. I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Because essentially in Nigeria, the production is like the... 90% of this, yeah. I'm no offense to songwriters, <laughs> but like, yeah. you know, Af- the core of Afrobeat is in the beat. production. Yeah. So why are the artists broke? Why is it only the artists getting it? Um, sorry, why are the producers, producers broke? So, you know, we started, first of all, we discovered that with the PR, which is Coson, Coson had moved from what the definition of a producer was. Mm according to what the copyright was then, yeah. which was the way music was done in the olden days was really the artist gets on stage, tells the, the tells this person, guitarist, play this, tells this. So in technical terms, the artist was the producer and those were performers because he would tell them what to play, mm-hmm. right? But now when we went to go and explain to Coson that, no, you see that process has been consolidated into one machine where the producer is the one that comes up with it. And I said, it's even as bad as the producer now sends beats to the artists for them to get the inspiration mm-hmm, to record. Mm-hmm. So they are now composers. And we fought that fight for like two years. What, what was so hard for Koson to, to grasp? Because like, one, one thing I wanted to discuss with you is, this is not a Nigerian thing. I think all over the world, sometimes it seems like the law is slow to catch up with technology and how things are being done. So let me tell you why. It's because lawyers, and I, I'm, I, and I keep blaming lawyers, we don't do our work. It took us, first of all, I identified the problem. Then I go with my, my team and I said, this is, the, this is the problem. How can we solve it? And we went back to the law. We didn't go back to the law to look for a problem. We went to the law to look for a solution. So the way the law is drafted, right, is that... The law cannot cover everything at once. It's progressive. Unfortunately, we have a very slow legislative arm. Mm-hmm. The Copyright Act has been, the, revision, the new one has been in, in the assembly for the past, since when I was in, in, in 500 level, and I'm seven years at the bar. Now, the, the, you see, the thing is, when we, when we found that, that composer problem, 
put a team of lawyers together, very, led by you know Justin Igive, brilliant guy. You know goes goes into um, the law and finds out that oh we can go by this definition technically, mm-hmm. and we took that and we went to Coson and we argued it back and forth with their lawyers and until we came into that okay yes this is it. Now we've taken that that new this thing and sent it to the National Assembly to add to the new Copyright Act that is supposed to be done. You know, so so you see it's. When lawyers don't test the law, it, nothing nothing happens. Now the next phase for Coson was to now start for us was to now co- start convincing the artists that you don't own hundred percent. Yeah. Now another issue we had then was the law said equitable. Equitable could be anything, right? And we pushed for we were saying equitable also means can mean equal, which is why we now say that okay the the art the producer is entitled to fifty percent. Because they do fifty percent of the work, mm-hmm. you know. So that and that, we started and we started fighting and fighting. Then, but then in that fight, we now took it to say, you know what? Let's start the SARS Academy, where we have a bunch of guys, you know, maybe ten that we can afford every year. Come together, we teach them the, the SARS. We teach them the production part of it. We teach the business, the management part, and and the legal part of it. And we sat and. I was always the one in charge of business part and the discipline, you know, business ethics part of it. Mm-hmm. And they used to be so upset because if you, if you, if I'm in class before you, <laughs> like I'm in class before you, like I tell you to do an assignment and you don't turn it in. And I can bet you out there, if you've worked with any SARS Academy producer, one, they, they don't delay their work. Two, they always respond to their email. And it's as bad as their email if you check their email, there's a proper signature, properly written. They can draft a proper email, and when they are sent before any produce, before any SARS Academy producer releases the set final file to you, you must sign a split sheet. And that shift now we've moved from the conversation of oh producers are not entitled to why are you taking fifty percent? Mm-hmm. I'm good. That is, we sent twenty one people, including SARS himself, into the world and said go and do this job. And it's and in in three years there's been a shift. So now producers are now in the conversation. Jones, so yeah. I f- and, and that's because four of us sat down and we're just like, nah, this thing can't continue. And we're all lawyers. And that's why I keep saying that we don't test the law. You know, people keep saying there's no law, there's no law. I know what I've used the law to do to mm. achieve some things, but we don't test the law. We, we refuse. Right now, I'm in the middle of testing one law that is a technical, technical thing. And then everybody's beginning to back out. And I know I'm going to lose money. I know I'm going to lose relationship. But I'm just like, we have to do it. If I don't do it, if if, so, if I don't do it, everybody's just going to be looking at thinking it's normal until they run us out of business, and we're all looking like, uh, "Shebi, we should have done it." Nah. Yeah. Now, what do you believe are five things that artists must take into consideration before signing a contract? I think you kind of alluded to the fact that don't be entitled, but if you could just talk about five things, even if it's less than five, that you think that artists must consider seriously before they say they're going to sign a contract? So first of all, um, because of this shift, right? First of all, you need to understand that the money that was available to the industry in terms of local availability is being cut short by 70%. So first of all, you need to properly identify the value you're bringing to the table, because now it's going beyond just, I can sing, which is should be told. Between Fireboy, Joe Boy, all the boys, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be doing much better than singing. Mm. 
you have to bring be, be ready to bring a whole brand. You know, so you, you need to properly identify your value. You need to properly identify what you expect from a label. So if 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 you feel like okay, I want to sign with this label and this label has great relationship with DSPs, right? Or they have great relationship with this management, or they have great relationship. So this phase of my career, I want it to be artist development, and they have this great relationship. Or this phase of my career, I want to be able to release an EP that will do these numbers and do that number so that I can get this position in. And what you have to identify that so that you can also ask the label if they have that re- those resources to meet that expectation. You have to identify what the expectation of the label is properly. That would inform the length of the contract. It would inform how much resources is going into the contract because both of you understand your expectation. Four, the artist has to remove that false expectation that the industry has put which is, once you sign, you should have a Range Rover, you should be living in Lekki One. Now, you have to start thinking like a proper businessman. If I'm buying a Range Rover of 18 million and living in Lekki with the rent of 4 million, which is like 20-something million already on my career, and I don't have an EP yet, nobody's looking at you. Let's be honest. I feel like people just lie to the artists and say, oh, when they go to your Instagram, they want to see this. People don't. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. And I'm speaking from experience. I'm mm. speaking from practice. Because... A lot of time, people used to come to me. People would say that, oh, Fuzai, you're not in the business, so you don't know. You're not in the so I had to go into I'm like, I need to understand this thing because it doesn't make sense to me. You know, and you, you have to build your community. And that's a lot of, that's the thing that a lot of artists keep missing, which is they feel like they can buy a community. You can't. You cannot skip it. See, that's why Beyonce is Beyonce. Beyonce doesn't talk. In fact, when Beyonce talks, we're privileged. And that's because she has trained us. Us. She has trained the community. And when Beyonce was, Beyonce straight up said, guys, what I owe you is my art. I don't owe you my personal life. Yeah. That's why we can't be upset when she does. In fact, when she gives it to us, we're like, oh, thank you, Queen. But I think also beyond that, I think there's the fact that behind the scenes, Beyonce is working. Yes. She's donating money. She's doing stuff beyond just going on the ground to say, like, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, yes, she's actively involved. You know, she's very actively involved. Mm -hmm. So you have to build your community. You can't be from Bariga and can't even hold 50 people in Bariga. Mm -hmm. Makes no sense. You can't be from Ikorodu and they don't see you doing stuff. You know, to whom much is given, much is expected. I understand that the Nigerian audience, they don't pay for anything music. They don't pay for the music. They don't buy your merch. They want free, sh- free ticket to your show. But they still won't give away. And artists are feeding into that illusion. How are you an artist that you're not making, you're reasonably not making money from the value chain because the audience have not been trained to give that... You are doing giveaway of one million. Where are you getting the money from? I saw that during this, and I just said to myself that, wow. And and to be honest, and it's, it's happening to all industries. So don't be upset with your label if your label is adjusting too. Yeah. Now let's go into the fun random questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. First question is, what are the first three things that you do when you wake up? So I, I pray. I pick up my phone and I check my WhatsApp messages. <laughs> <laughs> then okay. I decide. Is it two or three? three? Three. Then I 
put on music and get to get ready. Okay. Second question. An artist is building her team and she only has money to pay one professional. Who should the artist choose and why? The options are a manager, lawyer, or publicist. A lawyer. Because the lawyer has a manager as a client, a publicist as a client that she can introduce you to. Okay. <laughs> Not because you're a lawyer. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Third question. Out of these three women, who would you choose to represent based on the breadth of issues that you'll be dealing with? The options are Onyeka Owenu, Issa Rae, or Rihanna? Hmm... Hmm. Actually, uh, okay. I I think it has to be Oyeka. Mm. I think it has to be Oyeka because she's she's gone the whole nine years. She's been a woman, you know, in international front. She's been a woman in the a male-dominated industry. She's had her own cases. She has fought in terms of lawsuits. You know, she's been famous, <laughs> you know, and dealt with backlash mm-hmm. and, and stuff. Rihanna and Issa would just be black girl magic fighting for him, black girl magic mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. You know, but Onyeka is like 360, so it'll be Onyeka. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, fourth question, fill in the blank. Entertainment lawyers are superstars. <laughs> 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 All right, final question is name three artists that you had on steady rotation during the initial lockdown. I had um oh, this, this is such an interesting playlist. I had Elevation Worship. Okay. I had Baski and I had Dunsi Oyeko. All right, any last words for us before we wrap it up? Um first of all, thank you for this you know, podcast that you do. I know it's not cheap. I see your gadgets. <laughs> the gadgets is so fine. I'm beginning to think about it like, ah, you know, I mean, she has a full set of mixer, you know, Nikon camera, two podcast mics. You know what I mean? It's looking so dope. And she said that, you know, she will have done the video, but because of, you know, Corona and stuff. Mm. But actually, thank you for what you do. Oh, no, thank you, know, you for being a great. It's, education is very needed. And we've been doing it the way we can. And we still just needed to, to go out. And I feel like, for you as an artist or a label, if you're making mistakes at this point, it's really on you. I mean, seven years ago, you could have argued that you didn't know, but ignorance is no longer an excuse. There's yeah. information everywhere. There's examples everywhere. Um, and always remember that for every platform that comes to you for your content, you are the one giving them the most value. Because if your music doesn't make... Let me even give you a secret. If your music doesn't make money on, let's say, Apple Music or... Spotify or Pandora, whatever it is, for example, for every song that is on that platform, it increases their valuation. But that your song is not making one naira from it doesn't affect them, right? So we we need to understand, like it goes back to what we said, we need to find ourselves and understand our value again so that we can, everybody can eat and be happy. But this is Africa's time. I mean, all the Afrobeats to the world, Afrobeats to the world, a lot of us are just making noise. But the view, those of us at the back, we need to sit down and actually embrace Africa to the world and do the work. Please, don't sell your soul for cheap stuffs. <laughs> stuffs. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Shadi, for having me here. No. This was this was the most interesting conversation I've had. It's not you know I, I don't like going for interviews anymore because a lot of basic questions and it doesn't task my brain now. You know, I'm just always like, ah, oh, same thing. I'm saying the same thing, yeah. same thing again. But I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, I'm glad. And really I can I just can I just get props to my legal background? <laughs> hey. Of course, lawyers are superstars. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, yeah. Boza. Yeah, you're welcome. This episode is produced and edited by me, Paula Shade Anozie. Theme song for the show is by Imodu Ayonote. You can subscribe to the podcast on AudioMac, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. Simply search for T-H-E-S-N-C Podcast. So that's the S-N-C Podcast, which is one word, no spacing. Also follow us at T-H-E-S-N-C Podcast, still one word on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you for listening.